the stories have told us that it's going to be this feeling of bliss and pure romance and joy and skipping off into the sunset and that like the work is getting to them. No, no, no. Falling in love is easy. It really is. Like, it's not that hard to fall in love. I fall in love a lot. And what's really fucking doing the work is rising in love. It's not the falling, it's staying and going, oh my God, every part of me wants to push you away, say that you're not it for whatever reason, my ego wants to blame you in the moment. It's to say that this isn't comfortable or easy, so this must not be it. And that's just not true. Welcome back to another episode of Get Psyched. I'm your host, Lindsay, and today Bryn Daler is joining me again on the show to recap her 90-day masculinity detox. If you have not already, go ahead and press pause and listen to our episode we did just about three months ago before she embarked on this journey. We talk all about the why. Why did she decide to go on this detox? How dating had become an addiction in her life, and ultimately how partners can become our biggest mirrors. As always, Bryn shares so openly and vulnerably about her experience that everyone listening, whether you are in a happy relationship, looking to call one in, or anything in between, you can learn something from today's show. We also talk quite a bit about embodiment and what it feels like to be a fully embodied woman. Both Bryn and I are going to be hosting retreats. She has one that is already sold out and another one coming up this fall. And I have one coming up in October, the wild woman retreat, where you can lean into all the biggest and best parts of yourself. Have you ever been told by society, by a friend, by a parent, maybe that you're too much of something or over the top, right? Why have we started shadowing some of the most beautiful parts of ourselves? The goal of my retreat is to uncover those parts, reintegrate them, and be able to bring them back into your everyday lives with so much love and joy. If you are interested in the Wild Woman Retreat, there's all the ways to get involved linked in the show notes, so be sure to follow that link. Until next week, enjoy the show. guys the show you've been waiting for we are on the other end of 90 days actually a little bit further than 90 days post Bryn's masculinity detox and we want to talk about all the things that came up during that process from start to finish we talked to the very very beginning of it also I know I jumped right in without even introducing Bryn because if you don't know who Bryn is at this point and you've been listening to my show what are you doing (laughs) we should know now, but Brynn is back on the show and boothing. I'm so, so happy to have you here. Hi, I'm back. It's me. And the whole time you were saying on the other side of the 90 days, have you seen that Paul Rudd movie? I don't even know which one it is, but he's talking about Dick and he keeps saying, Dick, going to get that Dick. And I was like, in my head thinking, yeah, I finally got some dick on the other side. <laughs> <laughs> she got that dick. <laughs> she got that dick. <laughs> Spoiler alert. 
<laughs> Please don't tune out now as yeah. you uh, know the spoil, but we're going to get there. We're yeah, going to yeah, get yeah. to how this happened. So um, just as a quick little recap, if people haven't listened to the first show, which listen to it, my friends, listen to it. There are so many little nuggets in there that don't even have to do with a masculinity detox, but more so deal with like breaking patterns in your own life and being able to call yourself on your own shit and make a change because of it. Um, can you just give people a little tiny blip into like, what was the motivation behind this? And then Mm -hmm. as we kind of fast forward into the 90 days, what, what came up? Cool. Yeah. It's funny. I had a call yesterday with a prospect who wanted me to hold her hand through a 90 day detox of masculinity. I'm like, wow, who would ever thought that by me doing this, I would be attracting women from all over the world that needed support in the same thing. Um, but essentially the 90 day masculinity detox was for me to remove all masculine energy from my life that was being used in a way to essentially, um, oh, distract myself, um, cover up what healing needed to occur. I've been in a constant state of dating and or with someone my entire life. And I kept attracting these emotionally unavailable men. And I was so tired of going through the same cycle. And I, I noticed that the men would slightly up-level each time. Like they'd be a little bit more evolved or a little bit shinier, but at the gist in the bottom of all of it was essentially the same type of human who was one that couldn't commit, wasn't ready to hold me in all of my emotions, had a lot more work to do on themselves. And And ultimately it wasn't even about them. It was about me. And it was about me getting clear on what I wanted, who I am and what parts of my life was I avoiding by constantly focusing on dating. Dating was my addiction. And I was using that for so many quick fixes of dopamine and, and self-worthiness and these little hits of like, Oh, you're still attractive and loved. And let's not focus on the parts of yourself that are subtle but still needing to be worked on. And let's go on a date and let's look at hinge instead. And finally I said, okay, I need to do the thing that I know is going to ultimately help me to rip the bandaid. And it is to take all of it off the table. And I knew it was the thing to do because it made my whole pucker. Like I did not want any part of taking 90 days off. I didn't want to remove that from my life because I was so afraid that if I stopped actively seeking it, it wouldn't happen. So I really had to be with this fear of if you stop trying to control and manipulate your life, will it all fall to pieces and spoiler alert? It didn't. And that seems like a lesson that I get to consistently fucking learn, which is that I don't have to control everything in order for my life to be miraculous and unfold without me. And that's a hard lesson for a child that learned to control and manipulate her surroundings to feel loved and validated. And so adult brain is having to constantly, constantly unpack that and really feel into what it's like to feel love and to feel worthiness without me having to earn it and work for it. Yeah. We talked a lot about that in our very first show about love being earned. And so if you guys want to watch, or I guess, listen is a better word. Listen to Bryn's full like unfolding of this. Go back and listen to our very first episode together. Then listen to the beginning of this 90 days and now listen to the recap. 
you know, I think a lot of us try to do that. And a lot of it, right. The nervous system seeks control. We like structure. And if we've been rewarded in some way, right. The dates were still coming. The love interest was still there and it was a little bit empty. It was, it was missing something. And it's such a hard pattern to break when you're like, well, what I'm doing's not, not working. It's just not the most effective it could be. Mm-hmm. So exactly. And in that lack of effectiveness, I said, okay, enough's enough. So I took a 90 day break and then I started to document my experience, how I was feeling the emotions coming up, what was showing up in my field, which was so funny, the things that unfolded and now what's happened on the other side. And there's been some really cool stuff that I've gotten to see and experience. Yeah. In our, in our last show, you were talking about, I think it had been like not even two weeks. We were like maybe 10 days in and there was already people just like coming out of the woodwork dates or guys circling back. So let's start there. You had that come into your field. A, how did that feel? Like, what was it to be like, fuck, I'm deciding to be abstinent from this thing. And now temptation is right in front of me. How did you maintain the the dating sobriety, if you will? Ooh, well, I knew that by making the declaration public, there was a level of accountability. So women are now actually hiring me to hold them through that process. And because I didn't hire somebody, quote unquote, to hold my hand, I declared it to my audience. I said, hey, here's what I'm doing. I told everyone that this was my declaration and I think it's Gretchen Rubin who has the four tendencies of how you essentially are motivated. And for me, I receive motivation through external factors and having people to be reliable to. And so I just knew that about myself. I knew that if I kept this internal and tried to do it on my own, that I wouldn't necessarily have the, mm, the willpower and don't get me wrong, even making it a public declaration there were literally times where I would text girlfriends and be like, I think I'm going to cheat. I think I want to go see this guy. (laughs) I think. And what's interesting is I knew that in texting them, one, the women in my life are really powerful, beautiful mirrors. And they reflected back to me without judgment of, you know, I hear you. And tomorrow, are you going to be really happy with that decision? And again, like not judging me or making me wrong for if I did cheat, but just really reflecting back, like, I hear you that this is hard. And what would your highest self really want and appreciate in this moment? And I never did cheat, but there were times where boundaries got a little uh, slippery. And what I tried to do for myself was instead of making myself wrong or being like, you didn't make it all the way through. Now you need to start those 90 days over. I really just sat with, well, one, what's coming up for me? Why is it that I'm now reaching out toward this person or allowing a bit more flirtation? And there was usually always something directly underneath of the surface that I needed to sit with of, oh, okay. I'm starting to outsource my validation again. Or, um, I'm afraid of this person not being here after the 90 days is over. And there's still that scarcity mindset of, if not now, then this person won't be here. Um, feeling like again, that I must work or do something to keep their attention versus just that the right person will be there and will show up for me. And, um, yeah, it was really in those moments of 
having to sit with and face myself of, for example, <laughs> this man came into my DMS, the, the men that showed up over these 90 days, I shit you not. I'm like, where were these men when I was single and like, <laughs> not because I had a man who legitimately is a professional model living in New York city that we started DMing back and forth. And then I realized like, okay, this feels a bit more, um, of like a non-platonic connection. He seems interested in me, happened to be visiting Austin, wanted to connect with me. And it was actually that night where I texted my girlfriend of like, I'm going to cheat. I really want to have the story where I go have sex with a male model <laughs> and I'm not at all going to regret that. Am I? And they're like, uh-huh. Um, and so, yeah, I got to be with myself. It's really easy to be on a man detox when I lock myself in my fucking apartment and I don't interact with the world, but that's not what this was about. This was about me being able to be the person I want to be in relation to other and still hold boundaries for myself. And it was not always easy. I'm imagining like the, the Mario levels where you beat like boss after boss after boss. So you get to the big boss, (laughs) a New York model being that big boss. Yes. And something I love that you said was looking deeper. I think so often what people don't always understand is we can be really emotionally reactive and those emotions, those feelings obviously are very real to us in that moment. And what a lot of people don't stop and pause and reflect on is, okay, what about this anger or what about this flirtation or what about this, you name it is easier to feel than the uncomfortable motivator that's underneath it. Mm. So getting really clear, like, okay, for me, anger, it is so much easier for me to get really angry and pop off really quickly instead of saying, oh, I feel really vulnerable and tender right now. Mm. And that feels really tough to lean into and especially share with somebody. Mm. So I'm just going to lean into this, like, other emotion that might not feel so great in my body, but feels easier than the other thing. Oh, that's really powerful. Totally. Like I could have been with the fact that I cheated, but what I really didn't want to be with the fact with was that I felt still like there was this hole inside of me that needed validation from men. And so that's powerful. I don't think I had fully articulated it that way to myself, but that's exactly what it was. It was avoidance of one emotion by being willing to indulge in another. And that's a powerful connector. Yeah. Yeah. What kind of things came up that you weren't expecting that kind of pinged you in those 90 days? You're like, Oh, like I expected X, Y, and Z from a detox, but now I'm experiencing this. Mm. Well, from a positive frame, I'll say I did not expect how quickly and powerfully my life would improve. Like truly I'm talking like six weeks in and I am walking on fucking sunshine. Like I felt so fulfilled and so nourished and so joyful by turning my energy inward. I thought that I was for sure going to be in my shit, in my feels, crying, grieving, And there were moments of that on and off throughout the detox. And 
what it really showed me was that powerful shifts can be made quite quickly and that it was really a direct impact of me saying, okay, what am I unwilling to look at? And can I be with that? And I remember at the beginning of my detox thinking my obsession over finding a partner is never going to go away. I just really came to terms with that. I'm like, I'm going to feel this way forever until I find the one and it's just going to consume my mind. And it's something I have to live with. I'd fully just like named that for myself. And I remember at the halfway point thinking it's gone. Like I just, I'm so focused on so many other powerful things. My life is so good. I have such great friendships, such great hobbies, such great like direction in my life right now that, um, yet don't get me wrong. I still want a partner that didn't ever go away. The desire for partnership didn't ever leave, but the gnawing and the addiction and the consuming feelings went away. And that was like this ah, sigh of relief of like, wow, I did it. And it didn't take that long. And I'm so proud of who I am in that process of, it just took me being in some uncomfortable feelings for a couple of weeks and taking action. It wasn't just me wallowing. It was me going, okay, what is missing? Like, what are the pieces that I haven't fully looked at? Finances was one of them. I started dating my money and having these money dates where I'd put on music. I had my full chase bank account, um, all these like fun highlighters. And I was just going through and combing of like, where are you being really leaky in your financial energy? Um, I started a writer's group and that was so powerful to have every week, this woman's group that I was so excited to look forward to and to connect with. Um, I started going to dance classes and all of these things, like my girlfriends, just our relationships deepened and that created such a quick turnaround time for me to feel more joy in my life. And then it just made everything easier because I felt so happy. Um, almost to the point where I was like, you know what? I really like being single. And for the longest time, that was not something that I would have uttered. I really felt like there was an energy of lack and it felt really good to get to the place of being just so comfortable and happy with my life. That felt really empowering. Yeah. It's crazy what can happen when you start to a think of dating as like this compulsion, right? That when we talk about addiction, especially to substances, there is the physical detox. And then there's the ritualistic detox. There is this psychic energy that this thing takes up in your life, whether it is, you know, a drug of choice or it is dating. If I am funneling my energy into that, what happens when I finally break that bond, when I can look at where my energy is flowing and instead consciously choose for it to go other places. Mm -hmm. When did you notice that that narrative narrative had switched when you were like, yes, I long for partnership and the right partnership. And I'm okay with being single. It's that. And we're allowed to hold both. We can have Mm -hmm. two very conflicting narratives be very much true to us. Mm -hmm. When did you realize you could hold both or that both were true? I definitely know that there was a somatic shift around the halfway mark. Cause I remember writing, writing it in my journal, um, being like, 
something is shifting around the halfway point. And then there's one moment that I won't forget. I was in the car with one of my best friends and we had just gone to this Mexican restaurant and had margaritas and we were just like having so much fun at the pool. And we were talking about an upcoming trip that we were planning together. And I remember like the windows were down. It was a sunny day. And I just thought life is so fucking good. So good. And I'm so fulfilled. And it was in that moment, I thought like, okay, yeah, a partner can come in and that'll make this even better, but fuck, am I happy just with the way things are and really feeling the embodied joy with my life and how I hadn't felt that way in a really long time. So really not that long into the process, but it really anchored for me when I was in the car with my friend in that moment, I remember pausing and just taking it all in and being like, look what you've created. Look at this life that you have. It's a really fucking special one. And a lot of that was just mindset, but after the mindset, or I guess before the mindset shifts was the deep grieving, the grieving, the releasing, the sadness, the anger, the frustration, the, the grieving of the timeline of like, I'm 32 about to be 33. And a lot of women in my life right now at this age are married and having babies and getting to really sit with that's not my timeline. It could shift. I could be pregnant in a couple of months and having to understand that just because my timeline is different than theirs doesn't mean I won't have those things. It's just really coming to terms with my path looks different and I'm so okay with that. Um, but it took the, the feeling around that first for me to come to terms with it. Mm. Yeah. How powerful that you can, cause we all hear that, right? We all hear, what is that, you know, kind of viral thing? It's like, let's normalize getting your PhD at 70 and getting married at 50 and all those different things, which yeah. in a little meme, you're like, yeah, empowerment. This feels good. And mm. 10 seconds later, I forgot about it. And I'm in the coffee shop, like swooning over the fact that there's this cute couple in the corner. Right. Um, and what you bring in is that there was a somatic shift and what I think a lot of listeners, myself included, we spend a lot of time in our heads. We spend a lot of time, right. That's the plan. That's the logical brain. That is the organization. It's a very mammalian part. It's why we have evolved as a species, right? We can think. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's been such a movement away from the body. There's mm-hmm. been a movement away from, you know, I had a client the other day say, Lindsay, people keep telling me to trust my gut. And I don't know what my gut is. I don't know what my mm-hmm. gut is saying. I don't know all of these different things. And so we started doing embodiment practices. And you said, I embodied joy. So just a quick, uh, I guess, experiential right now, when you are embodying and experiencing joy, what is that like? What does that feel like? Yeah. It's funny. Even as you say it, I feel like how my body shifts in just hearing what is it like to embody joy. And what immediately comes up is like my cheeks start to feel warm. I can't help but a smile spread across my face. Uh, my body softens and opens and it feels light, like bubbly, this energy of like skipping on a sunny day, right. comes up, um, or like windows down hair blowing in the wind, not a care in the world, listening to music with your best friend. And it's funny, you know, sometimes we think that the alt 
own my experience. I, in the past, have been confused about people where I hear they have a hard time embodying joy, like joy is a hard emotion for them. And I, I actually get it now. I get why joy can be hard for people to feel because you may have learned somewhere along the line that like you aren't worthy of that or didn't get modeled of what joy looks like. And so, um, yeah, to me, it's like this warmth and openness that spreads over my body that lets me soften and open to life where I'm smiling. I'm making eye contact with people. I'm walking down the sidewalk and letting the sunshine hit my face. And I am in that moment, just like open and magnetic with life and feeling light on my toes and letting myself have moments of that without a partnership was pivotal because I had never really let myself, like even in the moments where I felt joy over the past several years after leaving my marriage, there was still a part of me that felt, but it would be better if there was a person here or like you're having fun, but look how much more fun those guys are having the ones that are in love. And it's no surprise that I'm in an environment and in a community where most people are coupled. It was like the universe wanted me to be in that. So it could be healed because I would go to these events and I'd be one of like three single people there. And it was literally just time for me to shift that narrative once and for all. Yeah. What was it like somatically experiencing the grief, the, <laughs> yeah. For those of you that can't see Bryn, she's crawling out of her seat right now, <laughs> dry heaving a little bit. Uh-huh. Um, you don't have to report the experience of the grief, but that shift, that knowing that your body could hold both, that grief was very much possible. And so was joy. Mm-hmm. And that all of those essentially came down to you partnership or not, right? Like you were going to hold that in your body regardless. What was that shift kind of like? I, I definitely remember the specifically the first several weeks of the detox was hard think of it like any detox, like you're getting off a of caffeine. And when that hit comes and you really want to reach for that cup of coffee, you feel irritable and you feel annoyed and you feel cranky and like you're crawling out of your skin and that it would be so much easier to just reach for the cup of coffee. And for me, that was always available at night. Like when everything slowed down, the world starts to shut down, the laptop closes, Netflix turns off and I'm laying in bed and all of a sudden, all of my deepest, darkest shit likes to surface. And I imagine other people can relate to this because if you're like me um, and you spend a lot of time in your head, it's easy to avoid those feelings. But at night, it's like, oh, there's nothing here to keep me distracted when I would normally reach for my phone and scroll hinge before bed, now I'm just laying here sitting in this shit. And the grief normally for me, it feels heavy and it feels like a blanket that like I can't pull off, um, like consuming and dark and just like a density to it. And at night I would just cry. I would literally lay in bed and I would cry. I wonder what my neighbors think of me all the time. I'm like, they probably like this bitch has a lot of feelings <laughs> back to a uh, movie references and forgetting Sarah Marshall when he like gets the call and he's like, uh, there's a complaint about a woman crying. <laughs> like, Oh, it must be the floor above me. They're like, sir, you're on the top floor. <laughs> <laughs> oh 
my God, it's me. Um, yeah, I would, I literally would lay in bed and I would cry. And I remember having these somatic experiences, embodied experiences of, uh, self-soothing, like rocking myself to sleep, holding myself. I get teary even thinking about it. Like just wrapping myself up in my arms, rocking literally like I was um, helping my nervous system to soothe and just telling myself whatever it was I needed to hear. Like you're loved, you're safe. It's okay to be sad. Um, this isn't forever. And like learning honestly in that moment to, to parent myself, because also part of what this detox was showing me was that I was using other things to help, uh, to like bypass or numb or avoid. And I did that in partnership too. I had a lot of codependent tendencies. And so this was really about me being with me. So that grief looked like when the wave hit and I was really sad, can I just hold myself through the wave? And it would always pass and I'd always feel better on the other side. And then every day, so like in day to day, it didn't feel as impactful, but if I zoomed out and looked at the, the timeline, it always got a little bit lighter and a little bit easier. Every time I was willing to touch the thing fully, it passed. And then there was less of it for me to touch going forward. And by the end of it, I was just solid and in my bliss and feeling so like on top of her game and on top of her world and on top of her shit. Like I felt like Beyonce. Um, and yeah, there was some stuff that was really miraculous that unfolded on the other side because of that. All right. Let's talk about the other side. Let's talk about the unfolding. We have talked about the juicy getting in touch with your emotions. Guys, I do not want to minimize how hard that is and how much of a triumph it is to start to embark on that journey. Mm -hmm. I don't want to be like, oh, we're fast forwarding to this whole thing that Brynn did. And (laughs) we have so long on the podcast. I do want to talk about the juicy other side of it. What happened? I met someone and everyone in their cars just started cheering. (laughs) Oh my God. It's like, so let me rewind on the very first day of my detox. When I made the declaration, I did it on my Instagram. All these people were cheering for me. That also helped with the momentum, like making the declaration public and having the support of so many people, strangers and friends alike. And somebody sent me this video and it was called, you've already manifested your partner by Abraham Hicks. And I watched the video and the video was all about how, when you use the language of future partner, that creates the tension of this person doesn't exist and you have to go out searching for them. And instead, what you can do is just be in the energy that this person is already here. They're here now. And there's nothing you have to do or think or feel in order to call them in. And in fact, I don't even think she used call in. I think it was just to acknowledge that they're here. And so I sat with that and I thought, okay, that's very new for my controlling rigid mind to understand. But what I wanted to do is I wanted to put a bow on it and I didn't want to have to think about it while I was detoxing. So I wrote this man a letter and I basically, it was snowing in Austin that day which was so crazy. So it was this like magical snowy day and I was playing classical music and I wrote this letter to him and the way that I would feel in his presence. And I made it as real as fucking possible. 
because in my mind, I've already manifested him. And if I've already manifested him, then all I have to do is this 90 day detox where I'm just with my shit. And on the other side of that, who knows when he'll arrive, but there was this comfort in my nervous system of you're good. Be like, he's there and there's nothing you have to do to have him come. So I write the letter fast forward, very end of my detox. I was at a festival and, um, I guess the real kicker was that I was supposed to be set up with somebody on the, like towards the end of my detox, a friend came to me and was like, Hey, I want you to meet this guy. I know that you're not dating right now. That happened to me, by the way, like seven times when I was on my 90 day, like friends being like, listen, I've got your soulmate. I'm like, what the fuck? How does this keep happening? But it's such a great reminder of energetics. I'm telling you, I think so much healing is available in the subtleties and in the nuances. And a lot of times I was focused on like, what's the biggest bandaid I can rip to give myself that feeling of like, you did it. Good job. But there's so much available in subtle shifts, whether that's mindset or tiny actions and how they can create massive ripples. My friend says, small hinges swing big doors. I don't know if that's his quote or he took it from someone, but it feels very true of like tiny shifts can make massive impact. And so back to the story, this man was supposed to be coming in. I was supposed to be set up with him at the very end of my detox, right before our date. I find out he has COVID. We're not gonna be able to get set up. This is like on the other side of my detox. I'm very upset, but what it did was it created this opening for me to meet someone else. And I was at the festival in my like peak confidence. I felt so good about myself. I'm playing. I'm with a girlfriend. I'm dressing up. And I think that's another really important thing to keep in mind was the last two partners I've met have both been when I am at my happiest, like not seeking a partner, just experiencing pleasure, just having fun, dancing, singing, dressing up in my radiance. And it happened again. I'm like at this festival dancing, living it up. And there's this man there that I'm like, huh, he's cute. I want to talk to him. And the whole festival goes by day after day after day. We make no connection. It was the very last night. I was like, I want to talk to him. And I made my way over. There was an opening and I sat down and just started to connect with him. And I shit you not like from that moment on, it has been nonstop fireworks and beautiful, like expansive love in like the most unexpected way. And when I tell you that he aligns with every fucking thing I put in that letter, it is not an understatement. I read it to myself like a couple weeks after I met him just to be like, huh, what's here. And it was like, I was reading the letter to him. It was so clear that this was the person that I was feeling at the beginning of my detox, not knowing he was just on the other side of this. And it hasn't been that long. It's only been uh, two months that we've been seeing each other, but it has been so beautiful for me to really be with my best version of myself, the self that knew that I had to walk this 90 day path of connection and grief and confidence building and just shifting of habits so that when he came, I was ready and we both were. And so what it allowed for us to do was because we had both done the work, there were no games. There were no, like, I'm not sure trepidation. It's just, I'm ready. I've done my work. You're ready. You've done your work. 
everything here is clicking. Now let's fucking go and choose each other. And that's what it's been. And I have no clue what the future holds. None of us do, but so far it's been really fucking beautiful. And I have no doubt that that is a direct result of me doing that detox. And I'm not saying this, that if I, you do your detox, that I can promise this will happen. But I think it's a pretty big, important part to acknowledge that by me turning my energy inward, it created space for him to come in and to claim me and to, um, yeah, to like have this romance unfold. It's been so special. So to bring it back to embodiment and somatics, you said that it was this day in Austin, it was snowing, you were in your fields and you really dropped into how would it feel to know I was in his presence? What would Mm. my body feel like? What would it, you know, we bring all of our senses into it. What would I see? What would I smell? What would I taste? What would I would touch? Right. All these different things. So your body had a knowing. Yes. When you met him. Was that somatic experience there? Yeah. So (laughs) while I'm giggling, um, I was on some psychedelics when I met him. (laughs) Oh my Um, (laughs) gosh. Lindsay knows somebody that would be on psychedelics. (laughs) So I'm like, oh, what was happening in my body? I'm like, a lot was happening in my body. Um, But what was really powerful is I feel as if it just magnified what was there because our first conversation together was we were laying like in the grass, looking up at the stars and we dropped in. And what happened was a total roller coaster of like the most bliss, the deepest sadness. We talked about like loss and what it was like to go through divorce and death. And, um, and also I had no idea who this person was. So underneath all of the like intensity we were feeling in this connection of romance and physicality and also grief, we were like touching all these interesting parts. It was so easy. Like every part of my body was open and available to give that kind of connection. And I've said this to him from the get-go is you feel like home. Like you're just the way we are around one another don't get me wrong. We've had our ups and downs. It's not like it's been all sunshine and rainbows. I don't like to paint that picture either, but it has been so easeful to show up as all of myself, even when it's not, if that makes sense. So the somatic experience was, oh, this person can see and hold all of me immediately. And it feels really easy to give myself all of him. And I don't know what that means, but I like it. And it's been that way ever since of like, I feel so seen by him. It's actually kind of terrifying at times. Um, cause I've never had that level of vulnerability in a relationship before. Have you ever heard, um, intimacy described as into me? I see. It's so funny. I've just been smacked upside my head with everything I teach actually getting embodied in partnership. I'm like, huh, I've said that, huh? I've taught that. And now I'm like, wait, I actually have to be in all of this myself. And there've been so many moments the past week where I'm like, fuck, I teach this for a living. And here I am just like really having to sit with what does this actually look like for me? And it's been very humbling at times. What has been, um, one of the biggest mirrors he's held for you? Oh God. Um, (laughs) (laughs) he's helped so many, uh, okay. 
number one was that, mm, how do I want to phrase this? I've had this story, I think as many women do that when you find the one that first of all, the concept of the one, I think fucks people up in of itself. Fuck you, Disney. Yeah. (laughs) Fuck you. Disney is right. Cause there's even more here. So when you find a person you really want to be in a committed relationship with, um, the stories have told us that it's going to be like this feeling of bliss and pure romance and joy and skipping off into the sunset. And that like the work is getting to them. No, no, no. Falling in love is easy. It really is. Like, it's not that hard to fall in love. I fall in love a lot. And what's really fucking doing the work is rising in love. It's not the falling, it's staying and going, oh my God, every part of me wants to push you away say that you're not it for whatever reason, my ego wants to blame you in the moment. It's to say that like, this isn't comfortable or easy. So this must not be it. And that's just not true. So he's really shown me that conflict and triggers when done from a place of openness and owning your shit and speaking into them, it actually means that there's more connection available and more love available. And my nervous system had not recognized that before. Logically understood it. Logically, I tell my clients this all the time, but to have a man sit in front of me and say, Hey, the thing that you did just bothered me like in real time, I'm not fucking used to. In fact, little Bryn is used to her dad giving her very high standards of beauty and, and love. And so if anything, my understanding and learning had been, if you're not a certain level of beautiful and you're not a certain level of just perfect in general, dad leaves, dad doesn't give you the attention and dad isn't available for you. And so when a man says to me, the thing you did doesn't work for me, my body registers that as you don't love me. You're going to leave. You're, you're going to leave and you don't love me. And to have him go, I'm not going anywhere. I'm just being honest about what's not working for me. And that has nothing to do with how much I love you. I could almost cry just talking about it. It's so mind fucky because I've never had that before. And so literally I feel like inside of myself going, are you sure? And it, every time it happens, there's less of a trigger and less of a trigger and less of a trigger, but it's also so beautifully showing me that you can only take yourself so far alone. It's just true. There was this peace and like joy that I felt in being single of like, it is easier to be alone. And I don't think I really realized that until I had a partner that was just bringing stuff out of me. And the truth is, is that I can only take myself so far. And what he's done for me is really allowed me to go to the next level. We're going deeper things that I could not possibly access on my own. And the main one that he's really shown me is like triggers and conflict have nothing to do with my worthiness. And in fact, it means that we're getting to be all parts of ourselves, which means there's more love on the table. And that has been wild to experience. (laughs) Yeah. I, uh, I think it's Gottman that says something to the extent of like, 96% of arguments are not ever what you're arguing about, right? Like it was never about the cap being off the toothpaste. Nope. (laughs) 
And what I'm noticing, and I'm curious if you've noticed this too, is you were able to practice on an individual level. Okay, this trigger is coming up. It's easier for me to feel like I want to cheat on this experiment, on this detox. Instead, I'm going to turn in, right? What is what is the discomfort trying to teach me? What is so uncomfortable underneath the discomfort that I'm not ready to sit with it? Understanding how to do that on an individual level and then carrying that into partnership. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, there is this flighty part of me that when you say that, I want to leave. Mm-hmm. How vulnerable is that to say to a partner? And also how quickly does that deescalate like that energy that's in the room and bring it out of one of frustration and anger and envy and resentment into, Hey, this is a really deep raw part of myself. That's feeling really afraid. Mm. We've both gotten to show our little ones to each other, like some accidentally like getting triggered and his little boy comes out, my little girl comes out. And I think it's the, again, it's the the person going, I see you in your mess. I'm not going anywhere because all it takes is for one person to really hold that pole of groundedness and, and safety for the other person to have their space. I think in the moment to be triggered, whatever's happening for them, because obviously if both people are triggered, that's just a shit storm. But practicing on my own has really allowed for me to, in the moments where he's having his experience, like, I'm good. I'm resourced. I'm calm. I can see this actually has nothing to do with me most of the time. I haven't been perfect and I never will be. Um, but it has been really powerful to, to recognize my level of my ability to hold a lot. Like I can really be in storms and whether it's my storm, someone else's storm and just my nervous system knows like the part of that, I think too, is coaching, right? Like I'm used to holding all sorts of trauma and responses. Um, but it is, it's really lovely to in the moment recognize like, huh, my body doesn't actually feel anything right now. And that's really powerful to not be hijacked by his experience. Um, or vice versa. And it's really nice to have two people that can do that for one another. Um, and yeah, it's been, it's been a dance. I would say more so than not though, of me being able to see my growth. And he even said to me one day, we were laughing and talking about the, the day that we would have our first fight, you know, cause when you're in that blissed out honeymoon stage and everything's perfect. And, um, I was like, I wonder what our first fight will be. And he, he laughed and then said something like, you know, all jokes aside, we both bring so much awareness and so many tools to the table that even through our conflicts, I don't ever see things escalating. And he's been right. There's been times that it's been challenging, but it's never gotten to the point of blind rage or projection or, um, like resentments or stonewalling the things that we know can lead to the ends of relationships. And instead it's been, I see your shit. I see my shit. Let's either take space to regulate or regulate together, come back to love. And we can do that process quite quickly. And it's pretty impressive if I do say so myself. (laughs) Yeah. Being able to name the pattern. Hey, we're in the, we're in this thing again, right? Just bringing that conscious awareness to, okay, if I recognize the pattern, I can consciously choose to change it. Yes. If someone's listening to this and they're in new relationship, they're in that like yummy new relation relationship energy. Cause that can be very, that can be all consuming and 
when you can very much think you are with the one, right? To bring back that term, because all of those feel good things are there, right? All the hormones, the oxytocin, the like, I'm being chosen, right? How do you know somebody is worth your vulnerability? Mm, God, that's a good question. Ooh. Hmm. What comes to mind is uh, it's really knowing what your what your desired values are in a partner and your non-negotiables. Because if you go into a relationship and you don't know those things, it'll be really easy to get sucked in any which way when the love cocktail is feeling really good. But if you know, like, for example, for me, emotional intelligence, kindness, and uh, vulnerability are non-negotiables. So let's say I'm with this person and I'm, we're super physically attracted to one another and the conversation's really good. Um, but I see a moment in which like, he's really not self-aware or he treats someone unkindly. It doesn't matter in that moment. If the cocktail of bliss and dopamine and oxytocin is running, I can then very clearly check against that was my non-negotiable. And like, you just cross that. And it's not necessarily mm, about them in that moment. Meaning like, it's not like a, you did this thing. Cause they may not even know that's your non-negotiable at that point, but you do. And it can help to bring you back to reality when you really just want to take the balloon and fly into outer space. And so me writing that letter was me declaring to the universe, like, this is what I'm available for. I'm not available for anything less. And I think the main thing to keep in mind, it's not so black and white. And that's, I guess I'll, I'll finish the thought and then clarify is definitely watch for the contractions in your own body. Watch for the moments where things feel like, ugh, like that didn't feel good. Where it gets slippery though, is what's your trauma response and what's actually your body going. I don't like that. And so part of what I've started asking myself is when I do feel a contraction with him, what part of this feels familiar? And if it feels familiar, chances are it's my shit from childhood that's just rearing through his actions versus if it's like super unfamiliar and or he's doing something and I check against like what part of this is mine and nothing's coming up then there's a chance that it really is his. And then I get to decide if his action consistently over time will become a, a deal breaker for me. But it really is up to the individual of like what feels healthy. Some couples just by default are so much more available for conflict. I can think of like two off of the top of my head that are very in love and just have way more of a tumultuous relationship that I would not declare as toxic. I think their love is quite healthy. These couples though, they're just more fiery and they, they can hold more of that up and down energy. Whereas I think of another friend that their love is so steady. There's like almost no ripples and it's very sweet and gentle. And so it's really down to the person of like, what is your version of healthy love? And is this person measuring up against that? And if they are amazing, and if they're not, then it's not about them. You're just out of alignment and it's not necessarily personal. It's just, it's not what you're looking for. And that's okay. It doesn't mean that the relationship was a failure. This person's a failure. It's just in what you want for the version of your life. It doesn't match up and that's okay. As always, 
Bryn leaving some fiery mic drop at the <laughs> end of a show. <laughs> if things that we said in today's conversation, and ladies, I'm speaking to you in this one, you are like, I don't know what it feels like to embody joy. I don't know what it feels like to embody fear. I don't know what it feels like to embody the realm that is the human experience. One might say archetypes. <laughs> this is my shameless plug for Brin's, uh almost near sold out mm. retreat. Thank you. That I want to hear about. I want to leave people with. We will also obviously link all the ways to connect with you in the show notes as we always do. I want to hear about this retreat real fast. Oh, you're so sweet. Um, so I've noticed, and I know that you noticed this too, because you have a retreat as well, is that we're craving in-person experiences again. And there is a real magnetism and magic that occurs from being in person and doing this work alongside of other women. And so what I did was I created an opportunity for women to do the work alongside of other women in person. And it's called the fully embodied woman retreat. And what we're going to do is six weeks leading up to your retreat, we're going to be doing archetypal work, which is basically where you practice being the many flavors of the feminine. And then in person, we're going to go into, well, let's go deeper into your desires. Now that you can express the seductress and express the sacred slut and express the queen and that feels starting to feel good in your body. Now, how do we use those different flavors to go deeper into what do you like sexually? What sensually feels good for you? What are your desires? So we're really just creating a very sensual, erotic and safe space for women to go deep into their pleasure and to do it alongside of other women and to really just be able to show up as their fully embodied selves, because that's, I think what we're ultimately looking for in life is to show up fully as yourself and to not have to hide any part of you and archetype work and retreats are a way to, to be able to access and to practice that. Awesome. We will also link that there's only a few spots available. So be sure if that sounds like it puts butterflies in your tummy. Yeah. If it, you know, when I know something's going to change my life is where I'm simultaneously excited and kind of want to throw up if that feeling came up for you. Hit the link, call Bryn, Ooh. hop on a discovery call because I cannot support her work enough. And I'm so excited to see you doing it. Thank you, my angel. I just love you. And it's always so fun to jump on here and to talk with you about my life. And I'm giggling, thinking about how like, man, if you listen to Lindsay's podcast long enough, you're just going to get my whole life story. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Brand is our, um, our resident, uh, life experience sharer on get psyched, but it's so it's, I love it. I get more responses to our show because you show up as mm -hmm. your full self. You, you bring tears, you bring happiness, you bring all the feelings out because you share your so, mm -hmm. so vulnerably. So thank you so much, friend. I love you. Thank you. Thank you.